This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, Today's sermon is, I'll be honest with you, most of the time when I go into a week of study, um, I've already in my mind, I kind of know the direction that this sermon is going to be. I kind of have it already in my head. I've done enough reading before I preach through a book. I read the book multiple times over to try to get a feel for the entire book. And I really felt like I'm going to go a certain direction with today's sermon. And during my sermon preparation this week, um, the Lord just kind of led me. By the way, not that we can take a passage of scripture and be like, This is true, and then this opposite thing could be true. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that the Lord led me to focus my attention uh, maybe in a little bit of a different spot than uh, where I would have. Uh, But today's sermon is simply entitled, Strengthen Your Hands. Strengthen Your Hands. We spent the last two sermons in the book of Nehemiah highlighting the oppression, the conflict, Uh, the opposition that Nehemiah and the children of Israel faced um, as they worked to rebuild the walls there of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, For the full backstory, um, look it up, but basically they had been um, taken captive for 70 years and they were scattered and they were coming back to their home city and trying to put it back together. In chapter 4, we saw the opposition from the outside. That was great, Sanballat, Tobiah. Geshem and the Ashdodites, if you remember, I believe that was three weeks ago, we talked about how north, south, east, and west, they were completely surrounded by opposition. They had them surrounded, they were threatening bodily harm, not just verbal harm, but bodily physical harm towards Nehemiah and towards the children of Israel, wanting the work to stop. We saw in chapter 4 that Nehemiah finished and closed that chapter out uh, resting in the fact that God will fight for us. And that's the ser- that was the sermon title from that week's sermon. And they, though they had to adjust the way they were working, remember they would work with one hand and they had a sword in the other hand. They had to adjust a little bit. They had certain people that were focused on the work and certain people that were focused on the battle. They were able to continue their work without interruption. Uh, last week, Jeff spoke from chapter 5 of the book of Nehemiah, Opposition. Chapter 4 was external opposition. Last week we talked about internal opposition. You see, the opposition that faced them in chapter 5 was that not Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem and all the others from the outside, but that the Jews that were currently living in the city of Jerusalem were creating opposition, and they were creating the the, uh, conflict and the oppression for their own people. Many of these families who had returned to Jerusalem had found themselves without food and had chosen to sell their land and their houses just to stay alive. There were those within the city that, was, that they were uh, lending food and lending money to people and charging an inordinate amount, uh, amount of interest and just trying to make money off of their own people. And Nehemiah spent chapter 5 calling that out. No doubt a difficult time of navigating as a leader. Nehemiah, imagine that. But it was a complex situation. So in chapter 4, Nehemiah and the children of Israel faced 
external opposition. Chapter 5, they, they would face internal opposition, the kind that gets very difficult to handle. And now today we're going to be in chapters 6 and 7. I'm obviously not going to read every verse of this chapter, of these two chapters. We're not going to go verse by verse necessarily through these chapters, but I want us to understand what's taking place, and then I want us to apply it to our lives. You see the chapter 4 external opposers, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, who we've heard about the entire book, they heard that the work was nearing completion. The walls were, in fact, completed, the beginning of chapter 6 will tell us, but the doors were not yet hung on the gates. There was a little bit of things left to finish. Time was running out for those who wanted to oppose the city walls being rebuilt and the city gates being rebuilt. Time was running out for those who wanted to regain control of the city of Jerusalem without having to actually fight in a war. So they devised a plan, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem. It's a complex plan. It's a deceitful plan. This is a plan that would at least create a divide between Nehemiah and the Persian king Artaxerxes who Nehemiah worked for, who had given Nehemiah resources and his blessing to come and do this. They wanted to at least create some tension and a divide between Nehemiah and the king who loved Nehemiah. And after, a, after repeated attempts to lure Nehemiah away from the work and down to a meeting in the plain of Ono, I actually heard a sermon one time. If you're ever, if you're ever asked to go down into the plain of Ono, your answer needs to be, oh no. This is great biblical theology. So they try to get him to come down to the plain of Ono. And an open letter is sent explaining that Nehemiah was planning to take over the city once the walls were completed and make himself the king of Israel. That was the, that was the, the deceitfulness. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. But basically, they were trying to get the people to believe that Nehemiah was staging a takeover. That he was going to build all these walls up and have everybody work. And then Nehemiah was going to pronounce himself king. Obviously, King Artaxerxes, the Persian king, would have not appreciated that, and that would have caused the tension and caused the strife there. And so they try to do that, and they are trying to take over the city. That was their goal. But verse 9 tells us not just to take over the city, but the goal was simply to weaken the hands of the workers. They wanted the people that were working so hard for Nehemiah. Nehemiah was leading them. These Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem wanted them so bad to begin to question and to begin to second guess uh, what they were doing with Nehemiah and for Nehemiah. And all they wanted to have happen was for them to just weaken the hands of the work. To just take a step back. To just not quite give it as much as they had been giving it. And we find today's sermon title at the end of that same verse in verse 9, and we'll get to it, but it says... Nehemiah proclaims, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. Today, we're going to take a look at the details of the passage. But at the conclusion today, we're going to bring it all back together, right back to this verse and to this statement. And today, I hope that we as a church family, I hope that we as believers in Jesus are encouraged today to strengthen our hands. Heavenly Father, speak through your word. God, I pray that we would remove any distraction this morning that would somehow cause us 
not hear your word properly. God, I pray you'd remove any distraction that maybe I would cause that would take away from your word. God, today, may we learn, may we be changed through the power of the word of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Number one, I want us to see this as we walk through. We're going to tell the story. It's Old Testament story. We're going to tell the story. We're going to look at the story in Scripture. I'm not going to spend tons of time trying to pick apart every piece of this story. We're going to tell the story through Scripture. Number one, I want us to see this. The story was too unbelievable for, for reliability. The story was too unbelievable for reliability. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Uh, if you have your Bibles, obviously look in your Bibles. If not, on the screen or an app. Verse 1 says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time, this time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations... And Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I sent to him, saying... No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Scripture is very clear here. I don't think I, we need to necessarily, but just for sake of it, let's talk about what's going on. Nehemiah is not some sort of a novice. He's not, this is not his first time around the block. This is not his, his first time interacting with Sambal and Tobiah and Geshem and, and all of his opposers. And he knows exactly what the enemy's trying to do here. I mentioned earlier, he's trying to cause a divide between Nehemiah and the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, who is a journey away. However, he's still Nehemiah's king at this point. Nehemiah worked for him. He was his cupbearer. And so they're trying to convince Artaxerxes that Nehemiah used him to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and then Nehemiah was going to take over the city. In fact, they went as far as saying, Nehemiah, you have even gotten some prophets, some spiritual men to tell people that you are the king of Israel. They even went that far. A strategic plan. The enemy had strategically tried to, tried to ruin not only the relationship that Nehemiah had with King Artaxerxes, but also the relationship that Nehemiah had established with those who were following and working with him. They were attempting to break apart Nehemiah's relationships with the king and with the workers. And can I say this as a side note this morning? Anyone who tries to break apart your relationships with others is more often than not unable to be trusted as a friend. 
Okay, I'll say that again. Anyone who tries to break apart your relationships with others is more than often than not unable to be trusted as a friend. I'll put it this way. A true friend will value your friendships with others because they value you. You see, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the opposers, wanted to break apart Nehemiah's relationships and friendships with other people. You say, Josh, that's a very practical point you just made. It is, and that's okay. We're going to pull out practical points today. But let me just say this. If you have a friend, your friend will value the friendship that you have with others. If, if Steve and I are very close friends, and Steve has friends outside of me, shocker, we, all, we have friends outside of one another. So if Steve has a friend at work that he's close with, then I will value that friendship for Steve. Why? Because I'm Steve's true friend. I'm his friend. So I value the friendships that he has. And these people here, a true sign that Nehemiah was facing opposition was that they tried to break apart and they tried to crumble the friendships and relationships that Nehemiah had. Through deception and through lies, they did their best to come between Nehemiah's relationship with Artaxerxes and Nehemiah's relationship with the people that were working on the wall. So that was the story that was too unbelievable for reliability. But we see this secondly this morning. Let's just continue walking through the passage. The work was too great for distraction. The work was too great for distraction. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, but definitely in this book. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6. We've already read it, but look at verse 3. Nehemiah sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? Will I leave it and go down to you? That's a powerful verse. Nehemiah was, if you want to use the word tempted, he was being drawn by the opposers to come down and to meet with them. And, and they were going to blackmail him and they were going to possibly kill him. Whatever they wanted to do to him, they were going to do. But I love how Nehemiah reacted and I love what he said to those deceitful men. What I am doing is more important than whatever you're trying to get done. And why would I leave my important work that I know God has called me to, to step down into whatever you're calling me to? And let me say this, whatever God has called you to is extremely more important than whatever man is trying to pull you into. Whatever God has called you to do is more important than what any man will try to pull you into. Let me say this, had Nehemiah gone to them, he definitely would have been going down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Yeah, physically he'd be going down. Spiritually he'd be going down. In leadership he'd be going down. But Nehemiah knew that the work that he was called to do was of supreme importance. And by the way, church family, you and I should be no different. If God has called you to do a great work, whatever that work is, whatever it is, that work that God has called you to, that calling that he has on your life, maybe the call to be his child, the call to be a part of this local church, I hope he has, then we should have the same mindset. We have a mission, 
We have a goal. We want to see lives changed by the power of the gospel. We want to see marriages restored. We want to see prodigal sons returning back to their homes. We want to see teenagers giving themselves 100% to Jesus and, and working in their lives however he sees fit. We want to see deep connections made and friendships made in our connect groups. We want to see people who have been disenfranchised with church come back to church with joy in their heart. We want to see children uh, who fall in love with Jesus at a young age and grow up to serve him and love him with the rest of their lives we want to see marriages that have been wrecked and ruined restored and brought back together we want to see people who have rebelled against God come back in a loving relationship with him that is a great work and that's the work of this church and let me say this this morning church family if we're not careful we'll let those others the lesser things distract us and keep us away from that great work. If we're not careful, we will get our eyes on other things other than that great work. If we're not careful, we'll let less important matters take over our hearts and our minds that are way less important than that great work. Nehemiah knew that rebuilding the wall and rebuilding the gate had eternal value. He knew that this was a part of the story of Scripture and he wasn't going to be phased. He wasn't going to be distracted. I'll put it to you this way in a quote. As we find our calling in Jesus, we will value the eternal over the temporary. Listen, as we find our calling in Jesus, we will value what is eternal, the great work, more than what is temporary, whatever that is. And can I say this sometimes? Good is the enemy of great. And this isn't like a leadership. This isn't like a Tony Nolan speech for you. This isn't, but at the end of the day, if, if someone is calling you out of your great work into a good work, that is a step down. God has a great work for us. As a church, may we not get sidetracked. Listen, I want to I wanna give money to the March of Dimes. I, wanna, I want to uh, volunteer at, at, at some community event. I, I want to do all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we have to understand what the great work truly is at our church. We must understand our mission. And listen, I want to be kind to everybody because that is part of the mission. But our mission is to introduce people into a personal, real relationship to Jesus. To Jesus. And may we not get sidetracked by good things even. May we not get sidetracked by other things. May we stay focused. May we not come down off the wall and go do whatever that is. May we not become sidetracked. May we stay focused on the mission. So we saw that the work was too great for distraction. and I echo that. And by the way, if your pastor gets distracted, many pastors get distracted by politics many pastors get distracted by the pet sins that they like to preach many times pastors get sidetracked by money pastors get sidetracked by sex pastor gets sidetracked by a lot of and let me tell you this if you ever see this pastor heading in that direction may there be some people who stand up and say pastor please don't come down off of that wall of great work to meddle around in this foolishness. 
Hey, if I get up here one Sunday, if I get up here one Sunday leading up to the elections next November and I preach a sermon on politics, will you do me a favor? Will you meet me right there when I'm done and tell me that if I ever preach a sermon like that again, that you won't come back? Would you do that for me? Because you know what? I'm not coming down off of the great work, the great work to meddle in this mess. And as a church, may we not come down off of the great work the mission that we have as a church. Next we see in the story, in the passage, and I, I told you we're going to go through it and then we're going to bring it all together at the end. Let's see that the advice was rooted in disloyalty. It was rooted in disloyalty. Look at verse 10. If you have your Bibles, uh, look in there. I'm sorry this morning we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. You know, I'm sorry you're at church and we're preaching God's word. So here we go. Look at verse 10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shimei, the son of Delai, the son of Mehetabel. It's going to be my next kid's middle name. Uh, who was a secret informer. All right. So Shimei here. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee, and who is there, such as I who would go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but he pronounced his prophecy against me, because Tobiah and Sambal had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. Let me give you, I, I literally, in my notes, I have nothing under here. I want to explain what this is. Because I don't want to just breeze through it. Here's what happened. They, they hired, Sambal and Tobiah hired this man, Shimei, to come in and, as a secret informer, try to convince Nehemiah to go into the temple and close the door where he would be there alone. And if Nehemiah, in his position, he was not a priest, he, if he went in and did that, he would, by order of the king, have to be killed. So they try to come in and say, hey, listen, your life is in danger. This is the only safe place for you to go. Go in here and we'll lock you in there. Had he done that, then the rule, the rule of the Israelites would have been, he would have been killed for that. And so he, being not a novice, not his first time around the block, not his first rodeo, he sees that and he perceives that God had not sent him but that he had been hired. He was a paid hired gun of Tobiah and Sanballat. So I wanted you to know what happened there. That was why those verses are there. We're not spending any time there, but it was a disloyal, obviously, advice that he received from what was supposed to be a spiritual informer. But next, I want us to see this, and we're getting close to the end today. You say, Josh, you're not, not a lot of screaming and hollering today. That's okay. It's all good. I don't like screaming and hollering anyway. The wall was completed efficiently. Look at verse 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Pretty incredible. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us uh, saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. In only 52 days, a miracle work took place. The walls of the city were rebuilt. The gates were set back up. The doors were put on the gates. It was done. 
The city of Jerusalem was completely changed and completely restored uh, to a secure fortress again in merely 52 days. Uh, it was a work that could be attributed, obviously, to Nehemiah, if you want to look physically speaking, but this is obviously a work that God had for him, and this was God's work. 52 days. Pretty incredible. Lastly, this morning, I want us to see that the community was gathered in victory. The community was gathered. Look, we're in, verse, in chapter 7 now. Chapter 7. Verse 1, then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, that's kind of cool, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it in my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return. And found written in it, and he continues. We'll stop there. Nehemiah celebrated the victory. He established some sort of leadership structure within this, the city of Jerusalem. But he did something I believe was very important. He then says, you know, I'm going to gather everybody together. And we're going to document this thing. We're going to take note of all the families that came back when in the book of Ezra, when Zerubbabel and Ezra brought people back. And then we're going to take the names of everyone who worked on this wall. We're going to make sure we document this. And because, as you can imagine, in the Old Testament, and, and even today in the Jewish culture, there's just such significance to them in the historical. There's such significance for them in the documentation and genealogies and whatnot to know who and, and what their, their, their ancestors were a part of. And so Nehemiah does this and creates this community. I look at it as, hey, we're going to provide food. We're going to have music. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have everybody sign in and, and give your name and your children's names and what part of the wall you worked on. And so that way when your grandchildren and your grandchildren's grandchildren look back, they know that you were a part of this great day. And I believe Nehemiah in strong leadership did what we like to do oftentimes around here, and we like to call it, we don't say it much from here, but in our volunteer areas, we like to celebrate wins. We like to celebrate wins, and I believe that's a, a great thing for leaders to do, and Nehemiah did that. 52 days rebuilding the, the wall, Nehemiah gets everybody together and says, listen, here's the reality, there's not a lot of people here. There's still a lot of people outside those walls that hate us, but man, we've just seen an awesome victory. We've really seen God do something. Let's, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the victories. And can I say this, church? We ought to do that. Two weeks ago, we had 180-plus people that came for our second anniversary service. Man, that's a, that's a victory to celebrate. This past week, we had some feedback from some folks that have just begun coming to our church, and I was able to send that feedback to some of our volunteers and some of our leaders just to celebrate the win of what people are experiencing when they come here. It's extremely important and Nehemiah gathered them together as a community to celebrate the victory. 
I told you today that I was going to tell the story, and we did. Thank you for sitting through the Bible lesson. But I want to bring the conclusion home a little bit differently than I typically do in a sermon. I want you to have your Bibles out if you have them. If not, I want you to see verse 9. I want us to look at it in the context of everything that we just talked about for the last 20, 25 minutes. I want us to think about verse 9. For they all, that's Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, for they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. And Nehemiah responds, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. The opposers, the enemy, just wanted to weaken the hands of the workers. Just sow that seed of doubt. Just get their focus off of the work and onto something else to where their hands would just be a little looser than normal. Through deceit, through betrayal, through disloyalty, Nehemiah begged God to strengthen their hands. God, would you strengthen the hands of the children of Israel so that no matter what the opposition says out there, no matter what those that want to, to cause division say, no matter what they do or say out there, may we stay firmly focused on the great work that you have for us. May you strengthen our hands to complete this great work so that we will not come down off this wall and we will not go to something less, that we will stay with the great work and the mission that you have called us to do. And can I this morning say that to you here at Keystone Church? You say, Josh, I've not yet joined the church. That's, that's fine. Uh, if you attend this church, uh, can I just say this? Maybe this is your first time with us. Can I just say that this is what I pray over our church today to the maybe the worship team member who's struggling to serve with a pure heart? Do you understand how difficult it is to come up and lead someone in pure worship every single week maybe and knowing that you had a rough week that week? To the worship leader who maybe struggles with serving out of your pure heart, I pray that God would strengthen your hands for the work. To the nursery volunteer who struggles to see the value of holding a baby for an hour, much less changing that baby's diaper, right? To the nursery worker who's like, I'm not sure why I'm doing this. Can I pray over you today that God would strengthen your hands for the work to the kids volunteer who's trying to figure all this new stuff out with Aaron and Julia being here I'm not really sure what my schedule is going to be and I'm not really sure how I'm going to do this or am I going to be with little kids or older kids I'm not really sure can I pray this morning that you would that God would strengthen your hands for the work to the ministry leader who may be discouraged this morning because maybe their part of our church isn't growing as quickly as other parts of our church are may I pray that God would just strengthen your hands for the work that he has called you to do. To the connect group member who finds excuses throughout the week of all the different reasons why you can't be at connect group. Can I pray over you that God would strengthen your hands and open your schedule for the hard work that he has for you. To the pastor who sometimes honestly finds himself insecure. To the pastor who sometimes finds himself 
relying on his own flesh and his own merits and his own power instead of God's. To the pastor who oftentimes finds himself playing the comparison game with other pastors. I pray that God would strengthen my hands for the work. To the volunteer who already has your text message or email typed up to quit. May God strengthen your hands to just keep doing it. To the person who says, I'm about to walk out on this relationship. May I encourage you. May God strengthen your hands to continue to work. To the parent who's about had it. May I pray over you that God would strengthen your hands. To the person who's just tired. Physically, spiritually, may I pray that God would strengthen your hands. You see, in context, there was a great work to be done. 52 days. Listen, in our context, there's a great work to be done. There are people that need a church that will love them unconditionally and care for them unconditionally and will provide a structure around them that will help them grow as a Christian. And can I say this? We will accomplish that great work only if God will strengthen our hands. Listen, there will be distractions. There always will be. There will be Sanballats and Tobias and Geshems. There will be people who try to call us down off of our work and try to get us to come down to them to do something less. And may we today commit to strengthening our hands. Strong. Strong. You say, the battle's tough. It is. It is. You say, my enemies are pretty smart. Sam Ballant and Tobiah were pretty smart. I mean, they hired a guy to come in as a spiritual advisor and lie to Nehemiah. Pretty smart. Sounded great. Strengthen your hands for the work. Let God strengthen your hands for the work. May I say this? If you've not yet been able to volunteer in an area of this church and I'll be honest if I didn't think that this was a great work we were doing I would not ask you to be a part of it but I believe it's a great work that God has for us and if you've not yet put your hands to the work could today be that day not only am I going to put my hands to the work I'm going to pray that God would make my hands strong in that work listen if we're if that work means we're lifting something I want my hands to be right there I want my hands to be strong in that work Listen, if, if we're going to bite off something big in our future for a church, I want my hands to be strengthened for that work. This morning, can we recommit to God strengthening our hands? And then for some of us, maybe, can we commit to saying, my hands are all in. Strengthen them. They haven't been in yet. I've kind of been doing what's very difficult to do around here, and that is just coming to church. Kind of tough to do that at a church plant that meets in the gym, just being shooting straight with you. But if you've been able to do it, cool. I've been able to just come and chill. Can I ask you this morning? Put your hands to the work. Put your hands to the work and let God strengthen them. Let God strengthen 
your hands. That wall, those gates, that amazing feat that took place in the face of opposition would not have taken place if the hands would have been weakened. May God this morning strengthen our hands to do the great work that he's called. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.